This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that's always at a record high. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is India Ban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, mate, and I'm almost as good as the Dow Jones, which hit another record high earlier this week. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk about the Royal Commission into Financial Services, mm. or as I like to call it, a complete cluster. You know what? This is an absolute debacle. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll also talk about CEO share sales. We had a mailbag question about a CEO parting company with every single one of her shares. What do we think about that? We'll talk about your favorite. Your, is he a hero of yours, would you say, Elon Musk? I think he's one of the most significant innovators of modern times. That'll so. do. We'll talk about him, and I will get on my high horse. So we've got a big program coming up, a big show. Let's get straight into it, mate. I've, I've got to start with the Royal Commission. This has been an absolute... Debacle doesn't even feel like a strong enough... In fact, you know what? This has been so bad that we're almost used to it. The, the, the worst part of the Royal Commission for me is that there's been so much bad news... The shock's kind of worn off now. There was a time when the first revelations were big and scary and ugly and awful, and the second ones were bad, and the third ones were bad, and the fourth... And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, oh, another one. It's almost... If you're going to, you're going to appear at the Royal Commission, you almost want to appear now because there's been so much grief and drama that people have almost not exactly stopped paying attention, but pretty close, right? This is, this is getting mm-hmm. really, really messy. Now, we've talked about it a little bit as it's gone through, but there was something of a milestone last Friday with the release of the Royal Commission's interim report. Now, it's due to wrap up in February, but the commissioner was due to hand out an interim report by the end of September. So, Friday was the day, and... It wasn't very kind. Tell us a little bit about what you thought of what was in the Royal Commission. Well, what was in there firstly and what you thought about it. So I think the Commissioner uh, report, I mean, it goes into, I think, like what, like four volumes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> it's huge. It's big. Uh, it's very thorough. I didn't read the whole, um, you know, a uh, lot. I've read the news coverage and read the abstr- the executive summary. A couple of thoughts. One, mm. I think the Commissioner did a great job of actually not really um, uh, pinpointing uh, or, you know, suggesting solutions yet. Mm. He, he asked a bunch of questions, you know, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And, and some of these questions are, you know, um, you know, why are banks uh, uh, charging fees to dead people? <laughs> It's a, it's a great question to it's a ask. Rhetorical, well, it should be a rhetorical question. <laughs> a, well, of course, the answer is you couldn't, but they were. But they were, and and the only answer, as <laughs> and and as he sort of puts it, is because the the you know the the companies involved are just greedy. All right, now I'm actually going. I'm not going exactly, to stick up the banks because that's a stupid thing to try and do, particularly in the current environment. But isn't couldn't we say that of every single company that charges any price above their cost that you know the, the more money you try and make if if Woolies tries to put the price of milk up or if um, you know that your, your solicitor tries to charge an extra ten bucks an hour you know any anything everything your local chippy wants to you know slug you another couple hundred bucks for a day's work everyone I mean that's what business is right we're in business to try and make as much money as we can by by creating enough value I I, I just I did think at some level I don't know I. I They've been horrible, but greed to me almost felt like almost the, not exactly the wrong thing to do, but that, that's kind of the point, right? Like, how do you how do you delineate between a business trying to charge to make as much money as it can, and then what greed is? And, and if businesses aren't sure. trying to make as much money as they can, then aren't they kind of letting down their shareholders? How do you how do you see that? Yeah, so, so I think it's a fair point. So uh, I think. I think the bank should be making money. They should compete with each other mm-hmm. and and do so. Well, in that's, a way, a whole, that's a whole different you know. problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, uh, you you put, you you put the question of Woolies and Colts, you know, putting up the money, uh, putting up the you know cost for milk, right? right? But they're not charging dead people. They're not. <laughs> 
they're not they're not selling milk to dead people. No, no, that's uh, true. So, but that's, so, I mean, but that's, that's almost where the difference is, though. I think there's one thing to say they're greedy. Yes, nothing said they've done the wrong thing. I, that's why I felt like greed was almost exactly the wrong thing to be targeting. It's like, you know, to to the extent that they're greedy, if you want to call it that, or simply their desire to make money led them to make bad decisions or immoral or unethical or illegal things. That's the point, right? I feel yeah. like I feel like somehow laying it at the foot of greed was. It almost it almost hid the problem or, so, or somehow made it less important for exactly right. that reason. It was so, the things they did, not what motivated right. them, that I thought was the key thing. So the commission, I think, hasn't yet come up with formal recommendations. He's going to sure. do that in, I, th- I believe, the uh, the terms are until February. Correct. So he's going to do that in February. But you know, you get some hints of things that he's saying. Right? He's he's saying that you know there are things, um, there are things that are clearly wrong and illegal that shouldn't have happened. Yes. Um, you know, charging dead people is one of them. <laughs> um, yeah. Having sort of the wrong sorts of incentive structures right. to. Um, uh, for you know various types of bank products that you know it, it, are on commissions and so on, and therefore yeah. you're not doing the right thing in terms of looking at the interest of of, of your clients. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, there are other things he talks about. He talks about uh, the fact that you know are the banks doing a good job of verifying income? Now it's mm. a hard problem, mm. right? Uh, but if the banks are not verifying the incomes properly and today lending out, mm. long term sustainability of our you know of our banking sector is at <laughs> is is in is in question. Right, totally. and and that just does not inf- affect the banks. Profits. It affects you know mm. small businesses, medium scale businesses. It affects Australia as a whole, right. right? So I think he's raising some really good points there. He's also talking about the fact that you know the regulators are not doing enough. Yep. So the regulators, you know, are not taking. You know, he's saying that you know ASIC, for example, is not taking um, companies to the court more mm. often. They should, you know, they you know maybe slap on the wrist here and there. Um, ARPA, according to him, could have done more. So he's raising so, a, a lot. ARPA, just to be so the yeah. Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, the, yeah. the banking regulator. Yep. The banking regulator could have done more. Um, yep. So I think he's basically saying that there are systemic things that he would like, I guess, or he's he's likely to suggest to change, mm-hmm. to make. And, and I think it's good because over the long term, you want the banking system, you know, to work well right. because that really underpins the growth of the economy right. over the That's long true. term. No, the, the growth of the health of the economy. Right? Like of the at, economy. Some, at some right. level, if the banking system breaks down, it's the thing that greases the wheels of commerce quite exactly. literally. I mean, they, we talk about too big to fail. I, I think it's even more important. It's, it's too it's too important to fail. It's, it's not even exactly. the size. It's the simple, you know, the, the, it does literally grease the wheels. Without without banking, we're, we're stuck to carrying ca- sacks of cash around and kind of giving them over behind, behind, a, behind a, a parked car somewhere so no one sees what, what sort of money we're ca- carrying around. You have to believe that the system works. Trust, faith is what underpins the monetary system. Yeah. I think overall this is a very good exercise and I, I think it's an, it's an exercise for the good of mm. all of us. Mm. And yeah, I think it's, it's painful for the banks. <laughs> And they pro- and well, they deserve it. So this is the thing. I I'll give my two cents just quickly. I think what was interesting about the interim report is that Commissioner Hain didn't make any recommendations. Asked a whole lot of what were almost rhetorical questions. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Doc, there is. I mean, you've got you've got to be not paying any attention whatsoever to to have missed the absolute litany of just terrible business practices. And some of them will be found to be illegal. Others are just immoral and unethical or simply wrong. Um, and I think that's that's the key finding here. I think. You know, it, it's it's hopefully, thankfully, less of an issue than the global financial crisis when the big banks in the US got way too far out of control. But it's in the same vein. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of there's no downside. I was on, um, okay, I'll name drop here. I was on the ABC uh, on Friday uh, with Warren Hogan and Omkar Joshi. And it's it's interesting that they, you know, Warren Hogan was saying his his recollection of, of the kind of the banking crises of 10 or 15 years ago. Bankers kind of scared themselves straight for a decade and a half, mm-hmm. and then they kind of started forgetting those lessons, as we all do in in finance. And 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 kind of once you do that, you start taking silly risks and doing silly things. You start to 
there's a there's an asymmetry between the risks of taking the rewards of taking those risks for me as a banking exec are really asymmetrical because if I take a risk and get away with it, I'll get a couple million dollar bonus. Mm-hmm. If I take a risk and it doesn't work, maybe I get fired. I probably don't. So the the risk reward there, it's all in favor of reward, not in favor of risk. So why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. When you've got nothing at stake yourself, you can push the envelope a little bit because hey, I need to get a couple extra cents earnings per share. I need to push that dividend higher. I don't need to worry too much about looking too deeply into the systems and processes because oh, they'll take care of themselves. I'm sure it's fine. Um, there was a complete lack of interest by the boards, by management teams in making sure the businesses were doing the right things. Now, I will say, and, and I think I want to say Jamie Dimon said something similar, one of the um, heads of one of the big banks, JP Morgan in the States, that there are so many people, the banks do so many things, no one can keep across all of it. And that's on one hand true and understandable. On the other hand, that should scare the heck out of all of these banking execs who aren't paying attention and making mm-hmm. sure what they're doing is legit. So I don't I don't for a second believe that these bankers were deliberately trying this stuff. Mm-hmm. What I believe is they got too big and they simply weren't aware or, or mindful enough of those processes and issues like charging dead people that simply got you know ran away. Um, that that's reasonable. What is unreasonable? What the banks see should be. I won't say hung, drawn, and quartered, but you can insert your own uh, your own choice here. Is the things like the incentives? They set the culture. They set the incentives. They set the remuneration. When you incentivize someone to sell your own product, you are actively selling someone what's not in their best interest. And I think that's it's not unreasonable for us. And where I do agree with Hayne a little bit on the greed thing is banks aren't just normal commercial businesses. As you say, mate, they are, well, firstly, they're government guaranteed, right? So that's got to come with some obligations. Secondly, they're simply too important. Your local hot pie shop, your local cafe, your local solicitor, if you guys out of business, then no one, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't impact the economy, it doesn't impact the customers particularly, probably a bit inconvenient if your local pie shop's close. But broadly speaking, you want to make, you want to have a, a trustworthy, reliable system, and the bank's simply too important as an industry and as individual businesses to be allowed to get away with that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm desperately hoping when we get to recommendation time in February, although there are some rumors that maybe the terms will be extended, you'll have a little bit longer to do this. But when we get to February, hopefully there are some really significant recommendations. And given it's going to be probably just before or near an election, I'm hoping that both the government and the opposition at, at, you know, basically take on all of those recommendations, maybe even some more, to make sure the banking sector doesn't get out of control, doesn't remain out of control maybe is the, the key point. Uh, we should say, by the way, that as a result of that, Westpac shares mm. hit a five-year low earlier this week. Um, Friday was a funny day. Friday, the shares actually jumped for the banks. Mm-hmm. There was almost a, a relief wave, like, oh, thank God he didn't say anything terrible. Yeah. And then kind of- It, it dawned. Seemed, yeah, it's, it's over the weekend, people went- Hang on. And so the shares fell again over mm. early earlier this week. And I think that's, as you say, Westpac at a five-year low. Um, all of the banks kind of struggling under the mm. weight of their own uh, challenges, I suppose. And it's partly Royal Commission. It's partly house price we've talked about before. Um, it's a nice, easy to point to symptom of everything that's been wrong with banks. Is that fair mm. to say? Yep. And and I think yeah I think Westpac put uh, put aside some uh, funds for taking some charges so on so yeah. I think you know that that probably added to the field but yeah there will be more debt bad debts coming put it that way Motley Fool Money for more go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M all right mate let's move yep. on I'd like to say for, to something better but it depends who you are so we had a question during the week. Uh, the question was from one of our loyal listeners, so thank you for, for that question. Um, the question was, can you talk a bit about the recent A2 CEO selling off of shares? I find it hard to believe. How can a CEO decide to sell off all shares knowing it will cause panic? How can she explain to the board and the staff her actions? The whole thing does not make sense to me. 
I think those are really, really reasonable questions. Uh, Xiao Wen, that comes from, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Xiao Wen. If I haven't, please feel free to let me know. Um, so, yes, the CEO of A2 Milk, uh, Jane Hardlicker, mm-hmm. sold all of her shares, <laughs> literally all of her shares yeah. in the company. It, it's one thing to have a CEO sell down some shares. I mean, that's, that's hard enough, right? When the CEO says, I'm out, I'm gone. Mm. It kind of makes investors you know, <laughs> a kind bit of, nervous, right? Now, you, I, I know your view on this, but but rather than rather than just give me the straight out view, give yeah. me the give me the give me the pros and cons, mate. Make make both cases for me, you know. Right. So CEO sells shares. Some investors are like, eh, who cares? Some investors are like, man, this is bad. Give me the story. Yeah. So I mean, ideally, you wanted the CEO to be invested alongside you. Mm-hmm. If if they are invested alongside you, then their interests kind of aligned with yours. Yep. And what I like to see is what are their sort of their long term, um, you know, uh, incentives. Right. So you want incentives to not vest. You know, oh, you know, if you meet this goal this year, then I'm going to give you these many shares. That's that's really not cool, because you know, then then there is incentive to jack things around. You know, and you know, boost the earnings per share this year at the cost of the long term growth. Right. right? So what you want to do is you want to see what what the long term incentives are, and you know they mm-hmm. could be based on total returns or something like that, um, you, you know, that, or you know other metrics of the company's performance. Now, the uh, the A2 one is is interesting because, as you said, the CEO sold everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is a bit strange. I find that a bit strange, you know. Um, but uh, here I'm, I'm sort of speculating and and look reading between the lines. So she was at uh, Qantas, That's right? And she had a bunch of shares that were supposed to vest that didn't vest because she left or because A2's board hired her and brought her here, right? Um, and I think she was given shares. I think commensurate number of shares to sort of make up um, for the loss of vesting. Right. Um, so it could be that you know maybe she had something planned um, that required that money that was going to vest, mm-hmm. and because she gave that up at that time, but she needs it still, mm. and therefore if, when it has vested, she or you know or when she can sell it, she is basically selling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean that's, that's a potential um, explanation is that a good thing i mean I, overall it's not a good thing right uh it's not a good look yeah um but you know i've, I've said this before too like i mean you know a2 is a fairly large company you know in on, on the asx at least mm-hmm. you know, what the five billion dollars or so i would say is the market cap mm-hmm. um she's come from uh, Qantas to a2 um, if she wants to, you know, uh, progress in her career and, you know, be a top-notch CEO of, you know, a big blue-chip company, mm. uh, doing well at A2 is important for her. So I think she still should have <laughs> and would have the the best interests of A2 mm. in her mind as as the executive, right? And, and, and she could, you know, work at A2 for a number of years and do well and then, you know, become a CEO of, I don't know, a big bank mm. uh, or, or something else. Mm. Or, or over that period of time, she could make A2 a big company and be, you know, the person who took A2 from $5 billion to say $50 billion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of her own prestige and, you know, I guess future successes are tied to A2. And, and that's sort of how I look at it, like for many CEOs who are, you know, hired hands in many mm-hmm. ways, right, mm-hmm. you know, management. It, it, for them, the performance that they bring to the table helps them uh, succeed in the future or, you know, or p- plan their future yeah. in, in many ways. So it's not a great look. I would like, mm-hmm. I'd have liked to see her have some shares <laughs> left, but mm-hmm. um, uh, there might be some explanation. I'll add one more thing. The notice did not, 
as far as I believe when I looked at it, did not specifically say, uh, you know, why. You know, I think they always say, oh, it has some obligations and mm-hmm. you know, financial obligations right, right. or tax obligations. Try and explain away why that sounds. Yeah, but it's a very, something very vague. I mean, you know, if it said something, yeah. you know, that she was going to buy this, you know, yacht or, you know, house or that she had, you know, put a down payment mm-hmm. for this uh, house at Piper Point or something like that and she really needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> some specifics would have actually helped. Right. Um, but again, you know, that's a private matter and I can understand a lot of people don't want to discuss private matters. So I'm, I'm as usual a bit on the fence on this one. Uh, but yeah, it would have been nice if it was half, maybe not all. So, right, right. Yeah. Man, I, I, I kind of agree with you. So here's, I'll give my quick two cents worth again. Uh, the first thing is, as you started off saying, we do, as investors, we would absolutely prefer that our incentives were completely aligned with the incentives of those who are working on our behalf. Company directors, company managers are our employees um, as shareholders. And so at some level, if we want long-term compound results, then we want them focused on exactly the same thing. And we know from behavioral psychology that incentives drive behavior. So at some level, the more aligned they are, either with share ownership or payment incentives, as you say, the more the more aligned those incentives are with long-term value creation, the better it is for everybody. And so all else being equal, as you say, I would love every CEO to have a very meaningful stake in the company they run because it's going to focus their mind on long-term value creation for those shares. And it doesn't, as you say, there's no messing around with, I'll get this year's number and get a bonus and I'll take off or I'll, I'll move this around, I'll do that, I'll do this something else. All they, in, in a perfect world, they would be completely aligned with long-term value creation, long-term business growth, which delivers long-term share price growth. So that would be, that would be perfect. That being said, the absence of that doesn't necessarily mean there's something bad going on. So on, on a... There's what would we prefer, and then there's what does it mean when people sell or don't own. They're two very different things. We, there are some great CEOs who don't own any material numbers of shares at all. There are also businesses where, and one in particular, I think of a CBL Insurance out of New Zealand, mm-hmm. where insiders had a very, very large stake, and the company still is facing administration. And so, you know, neither neither is true. I will say too, in terms of behavioural psychology, as individual investors, we are inclined to fear the worst and see the worst because our human brains have evolved that way. We feel the, we feel pain three times as much as we feel a, an equivalent gain. And so when you see a CEO buy shares, you think, oh, it's okay. We'll say CEO sells shares. CEO sells shares. Try saying that three times quickly. <laughs> um, we, we, we feel like, you know, oh, no, the, you know, the, 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 the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And sometimes that's true, right? Again, as I said, sometimes there are circumstances where we see a CEO sell shares and then bad news is released or the share price falls or something else. On the other hand, I'm also reminded that Marcus Blackmore used to work in Blackmore's at a, at a point in time in the past. Marcus sold shares in Blackmore's at, I want to say, 30 bucks a share. Mm. And they subsequently <laughs> went up above $200 a share. So, you know, and, and frankly, you know, it's easy to, easy to say, well, the A2CEO must know something or maybe something's going on. How could you do that? And again, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. Um, we're certainly not making any allegations. When it comes to Blackmores, though, we could have said the same thing. Oh, Marcus is selling. You know, therefore, there's terrible times ahead. The share shares were up sevenfold from that point. And Marcus so, bought a boat. He did buy. He did and buy. And maybe a boat. he wanted a boat. Well, and that's the thing. And that's, and that's what I mean. So you know, there are circumstances where it's entirely legitimate and reasonable, and there's simply nothing to it. There's no. You know, it's noise, not signal. Yeah. Um, trying to differentiate the two is difficult, and, and it's why we'd all prefer to see all CEOs keep their shares because we wouldn't have to try and wonder about it. Um, but the end, the end result, you know. Again, I, I think it's. I think we're too, we're too quick to see a conspiracy. Um, I think more often than not, it's not. And there's nothing to it. I also don't think, by the way, that many CEOs and directors have as good a grasp on the capital markets as we sometimes believe mm. they do. So there are some people who will say, "Oh, so and so shell shares," and then the, the shares fell twenty percent. It's like, well, you know, mm. either, either they had a crystal ball. Like they, they don't, they don't make the share price fall. Right? Should have, should have bad results come out, which does happen sometimes. Um, 
you know, if, unless you've got a crystal ball, you don't know the share price is going to fall. I, I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. Yeah, nobody I knows. think assuming <laughs> that directors and CEOs know this is going to happen is a little bit fanciful. Um, again, sometimes it happens, uh, but I don't think it's always the case. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's. I know you've been waiting for this one. This is where we get to talk about Elon Musk and Tesla again. Okay. Now, we're not going to do it for too long because we did Tesla last week, uh, but it is worth noting because since last week, we have had the news. Uh, I think we. I don't I think last time we said there was a there was a, a charge but had been laid, but no decision had been made. Yeah, Elon had turned down a settlement offered by the US SEC for effectively uh, improper communication. I guess we'd probably call it. Mm-hmm. The SEC responded saying, "Fine, we'll throw the entire book at you and a couple of extra volumes as well." Charged mm-hmm. him with uh, fraud-related offences, a million of them. Uh, and all of a sudden, over the weekend, since our recording last week. Elon saw the light and settled with the SEC. He's mm. banned from being chairman for two, no, three years. Three years. Um, he's got to pay a fine. Tesla's got to pay a fine. He can stay as CEO, happily for Tesla shareholders, and kind of get on with it. At the same time this week, we saw some really good production numbers. So just in, in a quick nutshell, mate, what do you make of what's come out of Tesla? Um, I'm going to say it's probably positive knowing you, but mm. but give us give us the quick lowdown uh, on on both Musk's predicament and mm. and the production numbers for the company. So so since we are talking about CEOs and ownerships, I'll, I'll add that <laughs> you know uh, if you want a CEO who is visionary and owns 22 percent of the company, then look at Tesla. Um, he also buys in the market. He doesn't take a salary; actually, takes a dollar, I think, uh, as salary. Nice. Um, so I think you know Musk basically saw that. Look, you know, uh, now that we know the production numbers are good, he basically saw that you know why fight this? Why have the cloud? when the productions are going up. Mm-hmm. So he took a settlement. I believe he, he had to pay a higher fine than yep. he was initially proposed. Yes. He was initially supposed to pay 10 <laughs> and million. Ban- and was banned from yeah. an extra year. To the and and he, uh, yeah. So his, the initial terms, I believe, according <laughs> to Wall Street Journal, was that you know two years, uh, you can't be chairman, yep. and um, a $10 million fine for uh, for him. And I right. believe it was not for Tesla. And now he has cost Tesla, I think, $20 million uh-huh. and himself another additional $10 million, plus he lost the ability to be in the board for another year. Um, I think overall, this is, this is good. I mean, I think he has been battling a lot of strange things and you know he's a smart guy and, and you know but it, it comes across as strange that a smart guy does all sorts of these uh, crazy things right. but then again you know uh, if he wasn't crazy he wouldn't be building cars and sending <laughs> rockets and things like that right. so you, you take that which in. is also why he probably should know better and, and just kind of say okay just, <laughs> someone should tap you on the shoulder Elon yeah. I love you dude you're yeah. doing a great job just lay off Twitter <laughs> exactly so, so I think this is good because I think this is an opportunity for them and for Elon mm. to appoint um, and really truly independent, maybe somebody who has stature as yeah, independent I agree. chairman. I agree. If they go and appoint his brother, you know, Kimball Musk, who's on the board as chairman, I think mm-hmm. this would be really sad, mm-hmm. uh, which they could a missed do. opportunity, right? That'll be a missed opportunity. I think this is an opportunity for him to really find someone he can work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think this is overall good for, you know, and, and, and SEC has also and SEC has also required two other independent board members, so which should sort of, you know, change the balance of mm-hmm. power there. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall good. Production numbers were great. Uh, I think they produced 80,000 vehicles just this quarter, which is pretty much close to the total number of vehicles they produced last year. Um, yeah, yeah, Model 3 production is going up. So, yeah, all around, I think, you know, they're making progress and good progress uh, towards uh, electric vehicles. Yeah, so I'm, I was very happy with what I saw and we're watching, waiting for the quarter. Mm. There, is, there is a fascinating um, 
yeah, it, the whole electric vehicle thing is going to be fascinating. I think, as you say, mate, it would have been a shame for Elon to not be able to be running that company. He is the he is the both the he's not a, he's not a, a super operator in terms of he's not an operational guru, um, but he has an amazing force of will to get some stuff done. And he certainly is the chief visionary of the company. I think that combination is something Tesla desperately needs. It's nowhere near out of the woods yet when it comes to its cash position and, and the profitability on an ongoing basis. Elon needs to be at the helm and make that happen. I think it has the best chance. In fact, it has a I would argue probably a, a materially large a quantum difference. Tesla with with or without Elon Musk, I think are very 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 different. They're different companies, yeah. Uh, and so that you know, and then frankly, to the extent that um, I, I think the science of climate change is pretty straightforward, um, the world needs Elon to be successful, right? If if a Tesla-less Elon Musk has much less chance of continuing the revolution of clean energy vehicles, I think that's an important thing. Absolutely, agree with that. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, let's get off the political or ideological soapbox and onto something a bit more purely commercial. Mm. The Dow Jones has hit a record high this week. So right. we woke up Wednesday morning to news the Dow has hit a record high. It's just the US market is, is just going ahead at leaps and bounds over the last five years. The S&P 500 is up four times as much as the ASX, mm-hmm. 66% to 13, give or take. It's almost more than four. It's almost five. Um, so that's that's enormous. Over the last 12 months, the US market's up twice as much as the Australian market. Now, mm-hmm. Over the year to date, from January 1, our market's pretty much dead flat, and the US market's up 8 or 9%. Mm-hmm. What's an Australian investor to do? We kind of feel like we're being left behind, right? There's, there's, it's kind of like someone's having a party over there and we're stuck eating, I don't know, sayers say and, and, and drinking milk. It's, it's, we're kind of missing out, aren't we? Yeah, a bit. So I think what's happening is if you look at the Australian market and, and, and you look at the market's composition, you mm. look at you know our, our big contributors to the market mm. are what the banks, they mm. don't grow that fast. Uh, they're limited by you know uh, credit creation and you know population growth and things like that. Mm. Um, then we have the miners; they got to dig stuff. So the, you know you don't have a huge amount of pricing power and those sort of things. The, if you look at the U.S. market, you look at the companies. You know they're like Apple and Amazon and Google and so on. Mm. These are companies that are basically at the forefront of innovation. Mm. They are uh, you know creating new opportunities, creating new services, mm. creating you know new things, and you know making in many ways life better. And you know, uh, for people, um, so I think we sort of see that the the technological push and the technological revolution. We sort of see that that impact uh, shining through um, in in sort of the S and P five hundreds numbers. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think it's yeah. So I think it's the fact that we have a small technology sector here. Yeah. Relative to the U.S., we don't have a big healthcare sector here. Relative to the U.S., and some of those things have been big drivers. For and, a, and a kind of flat to down banking sector, which and makes a flat up to down banking sector of the market here. So it's yeah. it's very very tough for the ASX to grow when the banks are on the nose, and that's been the case over the last six twelve months. We've just yeah. talked about it earlier in this podcast. There's there's plenty of bad news, not a lot of good news coming for the so banks. The you asked me what what can an investor do? A couple of things, right? I mean, one is they can always invest overseas, uh, right. like you and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find that too hard, you can always invest via ETFs. There are some ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, number of ETFs in, in the Australian market. Um, these are exchange traded funds that provide you exposure to um, U.S. stocks or sectors. Uh, direct here, directly here in mm. on the ASX, and and that's definitely a possibility. So, there are ways for um, investors here to get that access. Okay, but are you so by suggesting that though, are you suggesting the Australian market will continue to lag the US markets? 
Yeah, well, over the long, I, I, I do think that the Australian market overall will lag the US market, largely okay. because of the composition. I've said this. Over what sort of long term, short term, what are you thinking? I'm thinking 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And I've, I've said that from, from, uh, from the very beginning. So it continues know. to lag from now, effectively forever. Well, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, I think we have a growing uh, tech sector. We have, we have some innovation, innovative mm-hmm. companies, but they are mm-hmm. really tiny relative to innovative companies in the US. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, what, over time, you would expect these innovative companies become bigger and become a bigger mm-hmm. portion mm-hmm. of the index. And mm-hmm. therefore, you know, they contribute more to their growth. Right. Right. Um, uh, until that happens, you, we're just going to be dragged down by these big, slow-moving, what I call like nearly dead but not dead companies, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so I mean, it's just the just the fact of the matter that the largest companies here are not mm. growing fast enough, and they mm. really don't have opportunity to grow fast enough. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think you know over the long, over the medium term, at least you know medium to long term, I, I think we have a disadvantage. Mm. I think that's true. I'll add one more then, mate. You, you talked about Australia versus the US. My my long. Uh, okay, long suffering. Maybe it's true, uh, particularly for listeners of this podcast who've been listening. Long suffering listeners, uh, I, I've said for a long time, not you know, we don't have to buy the market. You know, capital T, capital M. Yes, the market, the the U.S. market, the Australian market may well move in particular directions. I don't think you need to go overseas though to get U.S. style returns if you select the companies you want to invest in well here on the ASX. And so I think yep. you're right. If you want to get U.S. market returns, buy absolutely U.S. Market, you know, by the US market, either here or in overseas index, indes, indices. Blah. Um, so, yeah, yes, yes, buy an ETF here, buy, you know, invest directly overseas, do that if you want to. The other thing is, you don't have to invest in the market here, in the whole market. If you simply, if you believe the bank's going to lag, but other companies will keep growing, then simply don't buy the banks and exactly. buy the others. And so, yep. there are ways of getting better than the market return. That's what we do every day. Exactly. We're, we're stock pickers. Um, so, we're not just to your own home, by the way. I'm not saying you have to buy one of our services, though we'd always love you to. Please buy. <laughs> um, but, but realistically, you know, that, that is the thing, right? So think about, I think what's going to really confront a lot of investors over the next 12, 18 months, if you and I are both right, if the market continues to lag because of the weight of the banks, people say the Australian market is, the ASX is, and that's true if you're buying the, Australian, the whole market, yep. but you can go and buy individual companies that beat the market and actually get better returns. So don't fall into the trap of believing that the market is doing X, Y, or Z. Um, again, it's true. But you don't have to own just the market. I would say to people, we're big fans of ETFs, but I wouldn't equally buy an Australian ETF, at least as a majority position in your portfolio. If you want some exposure, then you can add an Australian you know, ASX 200 ETF if you want to. Um, but just be mindful of you are getting those banks. And if the market does underperform the uh, other companies on the index plus overseas markets, you may want to make sure you've got exposure to either individual companies or other indices, other markets to make sure you get some of that uh, result as well. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about A2. A2 is almost like about a five-bagger. So there are companies like that. Right, totally. totally. <laughs> that which, you know, you could do really well. Exactly. And, yeah, and there's heaps of those, right? So, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's tempting to want to yeah. buy the market. It's tempting to want to buy just the blue chips. I think the future is going to be outside the top 20 in particular. There'll yeah. be some that do well. I, I like CSL. It's in the ASX 20, I think. Yeah. There's, there's plenty well, of I like okay. CSL too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, look, yeah. Outside, look outside the, the ASX 200, uh, sorry, the ASX 20, uh, and all look overseas. Yeah, I'd just say look outside the banks and sort of, you know, big insurance companies and so on. There you go. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, it's come to that time. I'm getting up on my high horse. We haven't got any sound effects and uh, I'm not going to do the... Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, dear. I'm trying my best. That, w- that was Doc, not me. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> thank you for trying, mate. <laughs> I did um, try. Here's, so, we've spoken a lot about market levels and indices and lots of different things this podcast. 
I'm going to not so much jump on a high horse and rant as I'm going to beseech, beg, plead with our listeners to do something really important. When I see markets at an all-time high, what I think about is that these things don't go on forever. Now, I have no view about when we have our next crash, our next slump, our next drawdown, our next correction, though I hate that term. I don't know what's coming next. No one does. If they if they tell you they do, they're either lying to themselves or lying to you or both. So ignore any prognostications. Ignore those forecasts. They are rubbish and useless. That said, I, I heard a line many years ago, which is prepare, don't predict. And so it's really important right now, while you know, the ASX isn't exactly riding high, but it's doing reasonably well, the US market, market doing very, very well. Now is the time to think about how you're going to feel, what you're going to do when the market falls 20%. Imagine your portfolio for a second. Now take 20% off that. Take a fifth off that. If you've got 100 grand in the bank, imagine losing 20. If you've got a million dollars, then great. But imagine losing $200,000. Now think about how scary and painful that is. Think about telling the husband or the wife or the kids or the parents, hey, I just lost this much money on the market. Think about how terrible you're going to feel, how stressed, how annoyed how you know throwing throwing things at us through the through the window of the triple m studio here um think about how that's going to feel how awful that is going to be how you're going to feel just desperately sad and frankly wondering if this investing lark is really for you think about that now because when it gets to that point if you haven't thought about it it will hit you like a ton of bricks don't let it do that think about the gfc think about the 87 crash the dot-com crash the great depression think about all the crashes that have come before us and then remember the market is up on average, 10% per annum, despite all of those things. Not in the absence of them, despite them. It's not up 10% in the good years. It's not up 10% if you exclude the, the, the two or three worst years. It is up 10% per annum, on average, despite all of those things. Despite the 87 crash, despite the dot-com crash, despite the Asian financial crisis, the global financial crisis, despite all of that stuff, the market averages about 10% per year. There will be years when it falls by 10, 15, 20, 30%, like in 2008, 2009, it gets really, really ugly and it feels terrible. But A, if you're invested in dividend-paying companies, they're going to keep paying you dividends. And B, if you're invested in companies with bright futures, they will recover because the market will get over itself. The sun will come up tomorrow, as they say. So this is the time to stop and think and make sure you have a really good sense of what it's going to do and then think, what are you going to do? Here's what you should do. Firstly, don't sell. Well, actually, let me take the first one back. First one is get rid of any margin loans you've got right now. If you're listening to us, you have a margin loan, close it down, sell those shares, put the cash in, do what you need to do, get rid of that bloody margin loan. It is going to cripple you if you're not prepared for it. Yes, yes, we all think we're better than average drivers. We think, yeah, the other guys have to close their margin loans. I'll be okay. Trust me, you don't want to have a margin loan when the bad times come. It is ugly. Second, when it comes to the crash, don't sell. Hold on to the shares you have. If the businesses are impacted, or sorry, the share prices are impacted just by a general market route and not by anything company specific or industry specific, then why don't you want If you own Woolies now, you'll want to own Woolies when the share price is 20% lower. If you own corporate travel now, you'll want to own it when the shares are 20% lower. As long as it's a share price route and not a business route, as long as the business is still profitable and still growing, still has a bright future, don't sell your shares. And next, keep buying right through the gloom. Dollar cost averaging is basically a really smart way of investing because it means when the prices are high, you buy fewer shares. When the prices are lower, you buy more shares. And if you're going to hold and add to those companies, if you like the companies at 100 bucks, hey, if you get a chance to buy the shares at 75, then great. Keep buy more because if they're going to go to 120 eventually, I rather would have bought some at 75 rather than watching it fall, not doing anything, than seeing it rise and think, oh, gee, I wish I'd done something. So buy regularly, don't sell Get prepared emotionally and tell the loved ones, particularly particularly husbands and wives, spouses, um, you know, anyone you're investing with, prepare them as well. So that when it happens, they'll say, oh, that's right. We knew this was going to happen. It feels pretty crappy, but we knew it. We expected it. We're prepared for it and we're going to invest through it and live to tell the tale.
How's that, Doc? That is a good long rant. It was a bit long, wasn't it? Yeah. I'll edit that afterwards. <laughs> Listeners won't hear any of this at all. <laughs> all right, Phil, that does wrap us up. Before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app, as we always say. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating, drop in a review. It helps people find the podcast, and it kind of pushes it up the charts a little bit. Um, make sure more people can find out what you're enjoying, hopefully enjoying, uh, and get let them get a bit of foolish insight as well. All right, don't forget, you can also go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M and get some more foolish goodness via email. That's it for this week. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.